you've seen case after case, whether it's the recall of automobiles and things like that, it's the initial denial that comes around and bites people because generally people know there's going to be accidents. That's what they're, they're accidents. They're not on purpose. If you handle it the right way and you empathize with the situation and you are transparent from the start and you have your facts, you can direct the story rather than having the story directing you. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zenger, and this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And I'm here in our downtown Chicago studio with my good friend and co-host, Jim Carr. Hey, hello. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. It's a great, beautiful day here in downtown Chicago, staring out the window at the beautiful Merchandise Mart right at the corner of Wells in the river. Yeah, the sun is shining. I know. Just got done raining, so we are in really good shape. Yeah, and it's warm out, too. Absolutely. Spring's on the way. Yes. I can't, can't wait. wait. To, I can't wait to do that architectural tour on uh, the Chicago River this summer. Did you ever yeah, go on that? I have. It's, it's, it is really nice. There's That's so really many great cool. things to do in Chicago. You know, it's a shame because everything that people hear about Chicago is people getting gun killed. Gun violence. And gun I know. Violence. It's crazy. But, I mean, I live in the city with my family, with my young kids, and I don't... I mean, granted, there's neighborhoods where these things happen, and my heart aches for those people that live in those neighborhoods and have to deal with that. But, I mean, Chicago is a great place to visit. People should not be afraid to come to Chicago. It is beautiful. The architectural tours, the parks... Restaurants. The restaurants are amazing. They're redoing Wrigley. I don't know if you've been by Wrigley oh lately. I don't know how they're going to be ready like for next week. I know. It's a construction know. site. I, I don't understand it. I mean, they're, the Cubs are supposed to win the World Series this well, year, if you can believe we, that. I'm not going to cross my fingers, but I'm hopeful. Yeah. Personally, I, I believe that they're going to do really well in the beginning and then disappoint us at the end like they always do. Like they always do. But... You know, we'll see. So anyway. Um, yeah, it's exciting to be here. Yes. Uh, I, we've got a great guest with us in the studio today. We'll get to him in just a minute. But first, I wanted to talk, as we always do, about manufacturing news. And this one's a little different than our typical manufacturing news because, as all of you listeners know, Ryan works with us here at Making Chips. He does all of our professional editing for us. He makes us sound good. He does. He does. So anyway, he's a a music aficionado, as I am, too. I know there's there's a a few decades in age difference between us. Can you spell aficionado? I cannot do that. That's Thank gosh they have spell check. I can say it sometimes, but I cannot spell it. But anyway, there's a few decades of age in between Ryan and I, and I just love the fact that we're on the same page with our passion for music and kind of parallels the passions that you and I share, Jason, about manufacturing. Absolutely. But anyway, Ryan sent us, sent me, us, a link last night from the New York Times that says how vinyl records are making a huge comeback. He's saying that the demand is so high that the production's out six months. That's and crazy. I know. And all these vinyl machines are old and antiquated, and they don't have any new technology out there to quickly get these vinyl records made and to market. So I think that 
it's great that I can sit here and talk about my passion for vinyl because I lived it in the, in the mid 80s. I used to have all those 12-inch disco singles and I used to play it on a turntable and I can tell a difference in the sound. Can you tell a difference in the sound? I, I can. Definitely a record has a more robust sound to it's it. It's deeper, it's fuller, it's more yeah, sincere. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between maybe a cheap wine and a um <laughs> and a, and a, and a bolder wine. I don't know. I'm, I'm making a bad analogy that's a, that's here. A, yeah. Well, that's okay. Jim and I always joke about this, but Jim actually doesn't listen to podcasts. Um, <laughs> I, I listen to podcasts all the time, so I'm not necessarily listening to music. You're strange. Not yeah. kidding. I'm not necessarily listening to music, but I do love music. I'm more of a like singing in the shower kind of person okay and listening to music then but i do love vinyl and i would love to get a new a new record player and be able to play that and, and introduce that to my kids yes but, but i, yeah, do, you I, should. I you do, should i do i do have a question it you know it kind of reminds me of so many of our, our customers and there's a lot of great screw machine operators that would say that they can produce a part on a screw machine faster than some of your newer cnc machines but it's I guess there's that analogy with these machines that are making vinyl records that they don't make those machines anymore. No. And some of those like old school screw machines that are still good machines, they're not making those anymore. Right. So what was the solution to this? What did they say well, that they're they, doing about this? I think that there's an opportunity for someone to come in and start manufacturing vinyl making machines. Because the demand is huge. They're seeing it skyrocket. All the artists want their songs now produced on vinyl. Yeah, they always do it as like these limited edition, exactly. you know, $100 for a, for a vinyl record. Yeah. But I just think it's, I think it's exciting. I, I love to see a regentrification of that particular media. So I, I don't know. I just thought it was good. I thought it would be relevant to what we talked about today. So and you you and I actually had a comment. There's this famous record place, Rolling Stone in Chicago. Yeah. And, and you and I both have been there. It's, it's on Harlem and Irving. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. And I used to go there and flip through records. So did you. So what was your first record? And I'll tell you my first one, too. My first you even 45 or Can, my first LP? Well, since I don't know what a 45 is. You um, don't. No, seriously. No, I, I don't. No idea. I mean, record's a record, right? No, it's a smaller diameter oh, okay. vinyl. Once again, you're you're dating yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't believe you don't know it. So, okay, here. A 45, Jason, is about a six inch diameter okay. LP, and it had one song. There was an A side, and you flipped it over, and there was a B side. The A side was always the typical number one hit or that you would hear on Billboard, okay. Billboard number one. Got it. And then you'd flip it over, and it ran at a different RPM on your turntable. Okay, because so it's it had a bigger yeah. diameter hole in it, maybe a three-quarter inch diameter hole, and then the LP maybe had a quarter inch diameter hole. A LP had the entire album on it, which was that about I know. ten to twelve songs, but a forty-five, which ran at forty-five speed, was one single on one side, on the A side. Then you flip it over and get the B side. I can't believe you don't know what that is. I can't believe. So, it. so my first record was the Rocky soundtrack, Eye of the oh, Tiger. No, really? Yeah. So, okay. what, what was what was your first record? Sugar, sugar. Uh, I think I might know by the that. Archies. Oh, oh no, yeah. no, you lost me there. Probably in the um, <laughs> early, early, early seventies. I think I got it at Zare for sixty nine cents. So nice. yeah. So anyway, all right. Let's get back. To we can talk about music all day long, but we're here to talk about manufacturing because that's what we're genuinely passionate about. But I got to ask you real quickly before we get our guest on: What's new at Zagers Industrial? What's what's the trends lately? We're being very, I guess, project focused, and we're doing a lot of uh, vending system installations. So cool. it's going through a lot of iterations in the manufacturing industry, and that's something that 
we're really, really focused on bigger end users also and, and more average size end users as well. But that's been our focus on a project level is to really get deep into particular end users and being deliberate about how we do the vending systems in a, in a more proactive way than some of our competitors are who just drop them and leave. That's not our business model. One and we're, done. Boom. Yeah, we're more of an intimate relationship with our customers and, and really being proactive about helping them to move their businesses forward. So sure. that's what we're focused on right now. And my team's doing a great job of getting that done. Give so. it up for the Zangers team. Yep. Yeah. So what about you? I'm selling my old crappy equipment and I'm getting new stuff. I, I made a cognizant decision that it's time to get rid of the old equipment and really amp up the technology great. on the shop great. floor. I, I'm really trying to do that. I'm, I'm selling uh, some of our old CNC machines on a future episode, I'd love to share with my listeners how I'm doing that. How'd you on, sell them? on eBay? Oh, great! Yeah, I, I'm sure people would love to hear about like a more proactive way to sell machinery on eBay. That's a great subject. I've had really, really good luck. I'm ready to share that with our listeners. Great. So, Jason, I'm really excited about IMTS this year. I am year. so looking forward to IMTS. It's going to be killer. I hear it's one of the largest ever, ever. In the history of IMTS. I mean, IMTS is actually one of the largest conventions in the country and in the world. I think like the Consumer Electronics Show is one of the few rivals to, to IMTS, which is amazing for the manufacturing industry. You know, I know Peter Eelman with AMT. And you do? It, I do. I have oh. his phone number, as a matter of fact. Great. I thought I'd just give him a quick call and have him share his insight as to what's going on with IMTS this year. And maybe he can give us some tips and Great. our listeners as well. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, Peter is at AMT and he is actually responsible for the IMTS show. Exactly. So let's give him a call. Very good. Hello, Peter. Jim Carr with Making Chips. How are you this afternoon? How are you doing, Peter? This is Great, Jason Zenger. Jason, how are you guys? Good. Yeah, we thought we'd just stop in the middle of our show today and give you a quick call because, man, I know myself and my, my manufacturing peers here in Chicago are super excited about IMTS 2016 this year. And we thought we'd just give you the floor for a minute to share some of the passion you have about the show that's going to take place in September because I know our listeners certainly would like to know some insights and some takeaways of what they can expect. You aren't the only ones excited about IMTS. I live IMTS, and I'll tell you, I'm always excited about IMTS, but this particular IMTS, I'm over the roof with excitement. Good. I'm glad we've to hear that. all kinds of stuff going on. We're, we're, we're going to be as big as we've ever been. Wow, that's awesome. More territory, more exhibitors, more square footage. You know, it's exciting for manufacturing in the U.S. That's really what it is. It really is. We're looking at growth. We're looking at things we haven't seen really in almost 20 years. I agree with you. For example, we're going to be opening another complete level at McCormick Place. So believe it or not, we kind of have been the only show for years that used all four of the main levels in McCormick Place. Now we are using the lower level of the North Building as well, and it is 100% full. That is amazing. I mean, IMTS is already the biggest convention here in the United States, and for you guys to be expanding is, is amazing. Well, we're excited about what it says for the industry. I you agree. Know, it's one thing to, to toot your own horn and say how great IMTS is, but really, like any trade show, it's really a reflection of the industry that it represents. And what we're seeing is that, you know what, manufacturing is strong, manufacturing is growing, and there are more and more companies globally that want to come in and work together with us in our market. I agree. 
So is registration open right now? Yep. If you go to IMTS.com, pretty much everything you need is there. Okay. Number one thing is registration opened about a month ago. So you're able to get online and get the uh, get the early bird rate, actually, for registration. Oh, you're kidding. Probably just as important, and, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but even if you don't have time to register, <laughs> before you get to that, you need to make sure that if you're coming into town and you want a hotel room, get over to that hotel site. So the best advice I can give you, get on there and register, because once you register, you can go straight to the hotel site, and then you got to get in there and make your reservations, and I mean now. Because believe it or not, the city is already filling up, and we have, are you ready? Wait for it. Go. Over 80 hotels in our hotel block. I was going to ask you, Peter, do you have any collaborations with any hotels that are linked off the IMTS.com site? 80. 80. Okay, okay. (laughs) 80. 80 hotels are listed in there. They are all part of the hotel block, which means you get a guaranteed rate. Awesome. Sometimes when you travel into other cities... You have these float rates where you end up paying more because there is a big convention in town. But we have handled the advance negotiation with 80 of these hotels. So when you go to our site, you get the guaranteed rate that we have pre-negotiated. You're not going to be a victim of kind of the, you know, hey, there's a big show in town. Let's jack the rates up. Exactly. And I'll go ahead. give you a little bit of a sneak preview here. All right. IMTS.com. We are releasing, over the next several months, dozen or so videos that feature new restaurants in Chicago. I was lucky enough last week with our staff to be in Chicago. We shot about eight different restaurants, got to sample the food in all the restaurants. So uh, I may be about 10 pounds heavier, (laughs) but uh, everybody who visits IMTS.com, you go look in the videos section you will be able to get a look at some of these restaurants. And some of them are really exciting and also located right in the center of things. Nice. Uh, There were three of them that we did in the last uh, couple of weeks right on Michigan Avenue. Places that never used to be restaurants, but now brand new restaurants, high quality, right in our wheelhouse for our members and visitors. Hey, Peter, can I ask you something? Next time you go visit restaurants, can you invite Jim and I? Yeah, seriously, we're kind of foodies anyway. You send me what kind of food you're looking for. We will take care of you. Yeah, we're we're right in the heart of it right now, Peter. We're in River North right now recording. So we know the restaurants. We know the good ones. So we would love to join you. But anyway, you know, I I failed to do this when you answer the call. Our listeners don't really know who you are. Could you please tell us a little bit about what your credentials are and why you're so impactful (laughs) with with the show? Go ahead, please. Well, I'll give you this. I don't know how many of the listeners have been to every single IMTS since, are you ready, 1980, but I I have since 1980. Wow. I started going. I've been every possible role. I was an exhibitor. I have been a kind of a a consultant and work with many companies, contractor, and 22 years ago, I was brought on board here at AMT to head up the show. So I've been the vice president of exhibitions at AMT for over 20 years. That's great. That's great. Thanks for introducing yourself. I'm glad we got you all wrapped up. I look forward to uh, getting together with you guys because I'll tell you what, this is one exciting year for IMTS. I agree. It really is. 
I'm looking forward to it. So just to reiterate what we talked about, imts.com. Registration is open now. It's going to be at Chicago McCormick Place, September 12th through September 17th. You've got links on your site right directly with those 80 hotels that are collaboratives of yours. They're special rates, and we highly recommend book everything now, including the restaurants. We'll see you there in Chicago. Thanks, Peter, so much. I appreciate you taking our call today and kind of getting us excited about the show in September. We look forward to working with you uh, throughout the uh, rest of the months ahead, and it's going to be a great show. You bet. I appreciate uh, you guys getting a hold of me. And, uh, hey, let's get back together and talk about some of the things that will actually be on the floor at IMTS next time. Including making chips. Including making chips. You betcha. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye now. Jason, that was great. I was so glad we got Peter on the phone. He had some real exciting stuff to share with us. It was great. I'm, I'm glad Peter, he has so much energy for the manufacturing industry. And to him, it's not even it's not even about IMTS. Like he's not trying to be self-promoting. It's about the manufacturing industry that he is so excited about it. And I love that because you and I too, I mean, that's what we're excited about. We're excited about manufacturing. And I think that he's just a, a great partner and a great friend for us to have. And as you know, our good friends at Sandvik Coralmont are going to have a huge presence at the show. The biggest booth. The, in the one, one of the biggest moves, they're actually going to be in the West Building. McCormick Place is divided up into East, West, North, South, multi-layer buildings. But Sandvik Coromont is going to be exhibiting in the West Building at Booth 1500. You know, I got to tell you, remember last week I was sharing with you or we were talking about the Sandvik Coromont apps? Yeah, you were going to give apps. me some feedback oh my after gosh. using them. Oh my gosh, I went into my shop, I told my machinist on the shop floor about these apps, they downloaded it. Now they're showing me these apps, these Sandra Coromon apps, and they're, they're saying, look at I can calculate speeds and feeds right here in my smartphone. And I'm like, oh, that's great, because you know what it does? It saves time, energy, and it amps up the efficiency of the job and what they're doing. You have to embrace technology. Absolutely. You just have to. With that, I would love for you, Jason, to introduce our VIP guest we have with us in our studio today. He is a good friend of mine. I've known him for quite a few years, and I think he has some really good, relevant information to share with us, you and I, and all of our listeners out there across America. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. So we have in our studio Scott McPherson. He is founder of McPherson Public Affairs. Scott is a graduate of St. Cloud State University, and he also has his master's in science, his MS in communication from Northwestern University. Good college. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Scott and I, we might have been in school right across the buildings from each other because I also went to Northwestern. So, I mean, it's one of the best communication schools in the country. Scott is involved in public communication, strategic communication. He's even had some political experience and what we're going to talk about today, crisis management. So welcome, Scott. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. And piggybacking on your conversation about the vinyl, I'll tell you that my first <laughs> album, full-length album, was Crosby, Stills, and oh, yeah. Nash. Oh, yeah. There you Everybody go. Everybody was sitting on the couch on the front porch. I mean, yeah. And how about when Grand Funk Railroad came oh, out know. with the gold yeah. vinyl album, the first one that did the non-black one? Remember that one? 
How about Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin? Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. When Amazing. you open it up, that was all about the imagery. That's back the other then. thing that you don't get with the digital. You don't get the album and the pictures and the sleeves. And Seriously, the and like the credits. I know that whole thing is gone. Yeah, so I, I know I am kind of the the younger guy. We dated ourselves, I, Jim. I love Crosby, Stills and Nash. First of all, and and secondly, I I'm not a big digital download guy because I like to physically hold that. I mean, I know I'm kind of in that Gen X straddling millennial, but I still like to have that physical product. So I agree with you, Scott. You're definitely not a true millennial because, you know, it's all streaming now. Actually, it's not even tangible anymore. It's it's streaming. You're kind of like leasing your music nowadays. And I, I'm selfish of that, too. I, I do that as well. But anyway, Scott, thank you so much for being here. You it, bet. Great to be here, guys. It's a pleasure to have you. And thank you for, for coming and sharing your knowledge. And uh, hopefully you can equip and inspire Jason and I and, and some of our listeners out there in the manufacturing world. So quickly tell us what McPherson Public Affairs does in your own words. Well, we're a strategic communication full-service company, and that entails public affairs work, which are uh, legislative and political kind of campaigns, grassroots public policy campaigns where we try to move the needle on legislative or public issues of the day one way or the other, a little bit of lobbying, not a whole lot, registered in a couple states right now. Okay. And then Crisis communications, which is what we're talking about today. It is, and I think it's really a relevant thing that um, our listeners need to be cognizant of because it's a real-world thing, and it's a painful thing to go through. But I think if you're equipped and you have knowledge of how to mitigate a crisis when it does happen, that you're all the more better. But we'll get to that in just a minute. So can can you tell me a little bit about what the current trends are in PR or... Well, before you even do that, can you give us some examples about how a company could benefit from retaining you as a, as a PR firm? We're in manufacturing. We, we really don't know what you do. Why don't you kind of break it down a little bit for us and our listeners so what, what a PR firm can actually do? Yeah, thanks, thanks uh, Jim. Well, manufacturing in the, in the last five to ten years, I think, is really coming into the light. It's no longer your father's machine shop. And a lot of people start out in business and they say, I want to make something and I want to make something and I want to just kind of be left alone. Well, that's no longer good enough anymore. You've got to be out there. You've got to be branding your product. You've got to be marketing your product, which is somewhat different than PR. Sometimes they get confused. But in strict PR sense, what we do is we work with companies to help them get their message out kind of in the mainstream media. And we're not talking about selling a product B2B or something like that. We're talking about highlighting what you do, what you mean to the community, the jobs that you create, the political heft that you can bring to the table with the number of employees you have, and really just expanding other people's knowledge of what you do. And part of that is through the growing social media presence, which you two have tapped into and are in the forefront of 99.9% of manufacturers are nowhere close to what what Carr is doing and what Zengers is doing. Thanks. About uh, I like it too. Yeah, your social media presence. I mean, so you 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 have several several media formats. You've got the old earned media format, kind of the traditional mainstream media, your radio and TV, your newspapers, maybe your monthly magazines, your business publications, which are all still important and still important for you to be reaching out to on a regular basis. But now you've got a burgeoning social media industry, which started with Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, podcasts, blogs, 
It's it's overwhelming nowadays. Somebody told me there's like 700 social media platforms in the world. Now we only really know about probably 20, 30, 40 that we engage with. If you're if you're really paying attention, most people, lay people, will, will only have heard of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, maybe one or two other LinkedIn. But that is the wave of the future. Now you can't you can't neglect the old line media because it's still there, but it is slowly. Well, actually, I shouldn't say slowly, rapidly changing. So, well, much much like vinyls getting a replay, I think the newspapers and the trade publications, the paper products, the tangible news is going to come back in some capacity. I hope so. Because you know, everything that's old is going to be new again. I think you're right, Jim. And just as you, your astute observations on the rebirth of vinyl, people still want to hold something in their hand at the end of the day. The Chicago Tribune Sunday Tribune is still a very widely circulated edition because people want to have that with their cup of coffee on a Sunday morning. They want to feel it in their hand. They want to get the newsprint on their fingers. So I don't think that'll ever go away. And you, you may be right that a, a renaissance will come back where there will be a pushback and some of that paper will actually uh, come back again. But my advice to companies in their PR plan is cover all spectrums. Don't focus on one. Don't focus on the other. Cover all bases and you'll be successful. What do you mean exactly by cover all bases? Because I don't think that you can be on every single social media channel. It's just too overwhelming. And even if you're able to manage that, it's probably not authentic because you're not necessarily engaging like, you know, you're Facebook feed might be just a regurgitation of your Twitter feed. And it's not like an authentic communication. So like for me, I know I focus from a social media standpoint. I, I really don't focus on Twitter or Facebook from a business standpoint. I just focus on LinkedIn. Like that's that's my spot from a business standpoint. Obviously, I got I got a lot of friends on Facebook. I do Instagram. But from a business standpoint, to me, it's LinkedIn. Yeah. And when I, when I meant cover all basis, cover bases being one, traditional media, two, social media, Three, personal face-to-face -face networking. Oh, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. When I say social media, you decide what's best for your company, and you'll work with your marketing people to figure out what's really going to be your strongest platform, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, combination of, of any of the above. Pick that and then go with that and really work that. But don't underestimate the old line media, getting relationships with old line reporters, and don't underestimate the networking at business events, social events, because that's where we all are. Yeah, in, in the chip-making industry, business gets done face-to-face, -face, over the phone, on a very personal relationship exactly. level. Maybe with a beer or a bottle of wine, too, right? We all know how that goes. No doubt. No doubt. But uh, anyway, so let's, let's talk a little bit about crisis. Crisis can mean different things to different people in business. But I think what we're generally what we want to talk about on a higher level today and why we brought you here is one of our peers, our friends of ours in the industry, had a, had a significant crisis last summer and they had a death within their manufacturing facility. Obviously, it, it caught everyone for a loop. I, I mean, I remember getting that email and hearing that and I, it was almost like the wind got taken out of me because it's it's one thing that as a manufacturing owner that has industrial equipment in my facility, you always are concerned with, it's always in the way, way back in the back of your mind, you always know that it's a possibility. But when I got that email, I mean, literally, I, I swear to God, my heart stopped for a moment because I thought, wow, it could be me. So, can, can you share with us a little bit, Scott, about when that happens at a company, what are the 
things that you need to do right away. I mean, obviously you need to handle it and call 911, but beyond that, what are the things and who are the people, who are the point people that are the ones that have to get on board? Excellent. I think people's first intuition is just they're paralyzed. And if they don't have a plan, you, you almost like feel like you need to run and hide. But I think if you have a plan ahead of time, that that is the best thing to do. Exactly, guys. Look, nobody starts out in business. Nobody wants to have a crisis. You can't have a crisis planned. It's not like a fire drill at a building where they tell you, oh, we're going to do a fire drill at 10 o'clock this afternoon. So everybody's ready for it. It happens when you least expect it. It happens when your CEO's on vacation, any time of day, any time of night. And a crisis can come in many forms. Now, manufacturing, obviously, we're talking about for your listeners here, you know, is usually kind of some sort of a major accident that results in a hospitalization or fatality. But there's also things like bomb threats and sabotage, employee violence on site or off site, work stoppages due to picketing activities, employee malfeasance on or off the job. Your employee does something. Maybe they're driving the company car. Uh, picketing, protesters, internet rumors or bad reviews, social activities. I mean, how many politicians have been taken down through Oof. inappropriate inappropriate Whoa. use of social yeah. media oh my or God. corporate people? You're seeing that every day. So we'll talk a little about the specific case that, that you referenced with one of our one of our clients here. But before that, know that a crisis will happen at some point. It's just a question of how big it is or how how small it is. The trick is being prepared. The trick yep. is having a crisis communications toolkit and we're not talking about going to Walmart and buying a $69.95 disaster preparedness kit. We're talking about the basics of blocking and tackling. Basically, know who your company spokesperson is going to be. A point person. Identify that person and have a second person in case that person is overseas or unreachable for whatever reason. So don't just rely on one person. No, no matter how small you are, have at least two people and ways to contact those people. Have those people be at least rudimentarily media trained. Have them go through some video coaching. Have them go through some. You mock- mean if the media does show up with the cameras? If they do, which is a which which is generally a worst case scenario, but sometimes does happen. So how do you prepare for something like that? Well, I, and I, I know I'm starting to go off base. But no, I, no, no, no. You, you, you why? Have, if you were to have some sort of a major accident, some sort of a major uh, environmental hazard thing, you would you would end up having. You know, the choppers flying overhead and the media people at your door asking what's going on. So how do you prepare for that? You said be ha- get a person on board that is ready for the media. Is that what you mean? Exactly. You do coaching of your of your personnel, yourself, whoever the CEO is, the higher executives, the human resources director, should be media trained to know how to make statements, when to make statements, what to say and what not to Interesting. say. And the real keys are, being upfront and honest, never lie, never obfuscate, never speculate, and never let someone else tell the story for you. So if you have your story, even if you don't know all the facts, you need to immediately get out there in front of whatever the situation is. First of all, if there's a victim, immediately empathize with the victim, the victim's family. Second of all, immediately be as transparent as you can within the bounds. I mean, there are, if there's an investigation going on, the police, the fire, whoever's there, you're not going to be able to speak about specific things, but you can tell people there's an investigation going on and we're going to be transparent and get to the bottom. And as soon as we know what's going on, we are going to tell you. Never get out and say, well, nothing really happened because that is the worst thing you can do because it'll come around and bite you. As you've seen in case after case, whether it's the recall of automobiles and things like that, it's the initial denial that comes around and bites people because generally, people know there's going to be accidents. That's what they're, they're accidents. They're not on purpose. If you handle it the right way and you empathize with 
the situation and you are transparent from the start and you have your facts, you can direct the story rather than having the story directing you. Can you repeat those those great points one more time? Never lie. Never obfuscate. That is like like pushing it, saying, trying to kind of de- deflect. Never speculate. Don't go up there and say, well, we think something happened with this employee or we, we think this person might have been drinking or we think this person... Do not speculate. Do not go anywhere unless you know the facts. It, 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 let's just say an accident happens and the person was drinking. You better have a test report oh, yeah. that proves and, it because otherwise you, you can't say but that. But all that comes out in the investigation. That's all way, to, way down the road. We're talking the first 24 hours. And the fourth one was never let someone else tell your story for you. Get out ahead of it. Tell you. So story. that means you can't ignore it. You can't pretend like no it didn't way. happen. No you way. have that'll, to tell the story. That'll yourself. never happen. So the key to this is before any of this happens, you need to get your spokesperson together. You need to have kind of your emergency phone numbers, which includes the local fire and police, probably the local mayor, the local officials, your attorneys, if you need them, other folks. Have that ready. Have have a call sheet ready so you're not scrambling around because when this incident happens, you're going to be frazzled. You don't have time to think, oh, how do I get a hold of that guy or that guy? You need to have a list. I mean, literally a printed list or a list in your phone or wherever so that you know, boom, 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 checklist, who you go to, this, 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 and this. And it's important to develop relationships with your local first responders before things happen, just to be good neighbors. Here in Elk Grove, you know the the, the police and fire there, you know Mayor Johnson, you know people, and they're going to say, hey, you know what? This company has been a good citizen. We know these guys. They're great. You're right. They're having an issue here. They run a legitimate business. Exactly. If they don't know you, they're like, oh, who are these guys? Right. We don't know what's going on. It's always been kind of sneaky. We see vans coming and going in the middle of the night. Of course they had an incident. Yeah. You don't want that. Okay. Set yourself up to be the good corporate citizen that something bad happened to rather than the bad guy continuing behavior. So so that's a, that's a key part. Great, great, great point, Scott. So let's let's take a little bit, of, if I may, a little no, bit. No, please go ahead. We're not, obviously we're not going to name the name of the company this no. happened to, unfortunately, last summer. But you know, I got a call late in the afternoon from our manufacturing association, TMA, that said, "Hey, one of our members had an unfortunate incident. A gentleman was killed, and they would like some crisis communication assistance." So I got on the phone, called the CEO over there, and. Talked him through what was going on immediately. The media, he had already gotten some calls. How long after the incident did... Within about an hour. Oh, within one hour. Yeah, you well, this on... was a death. So you had police, you had fire, you had... OSHA. Major, yeah, OSHA was right in there. Yeah. Major commotion. So, well, they were they gathered the facts. And what, what we did initially that first evening was write a carefully crafted two-paragraph press statement that the company sent out. To all media outlets. To all media. Just the matter of fact... There was an incident. We're investigating it. The police and fire are investigating it. OSHA's investigating it. We will have further comment tomorrow. Sure. Immediately get out there. And not only did they do that, they issued a similar statement to their employees, letting them know, okay, this is what happened. This is what's going on. Please refrain from... How did they convey that to their employees? They sent it out in an inner office memo from their human resources department. Okay, good, good. And... As we know, uh, many of our places are multilingual, so they had it translated into Spanish for sure, I believe Polish, maybe you want to make sure your employees, because they're wondering too. All of a sudden, they see the, the paramedics show up, they see the media, they need to know what happened. You don't want to put a gag order on your employees, but you also want to tell them, hey, step back for a second, we need to find out what's happening before anything goes. So the next phase was meeting with the CEO and his human resources team at about seven o'clock the following morning and planning a more robust strategy in case there were additional inquiries. So we briefed the human resources staff. We briefed their senior management. We came up with a more detailed response to the media 
rather than just a two or three paragraph statement. And then we made the CEO available to the media if they wanted to interview this person. They ended up not doing that, fortunately. It did not get into a full-blown thing where they had to have a press conference. It was fairly well contained, and the issue actually was survived. But I'll tell you why. This company was prepared. They had a crisis plan. The gentleman that runs it had been through similar crisis with other companies. He kind of knew the drill. He didn't immediately start freaking out and wondering what to do. So I don't want to say they got lucky, but they took a bad situation, and it was as good as it could have been considering somebody died. Well, they had preparedness. Correct. But they're also a fairly large company. If you've got an eight-person machine shop and you're the CEO and you got one other person in management and six guys on the shop floor and something happens and you have no plan, I mean, you're not going to know who to call. You've probably never been media trained. You don't know what to do when a reporter calls. And I'll throw this out for your listener. When a reporter does call, every time I say ABC, always call back. Take the reporter's name. If you can't talk to them directly, have your secretary or whoever, your administrative person, take their name, ask what deadline they're on, and say, we will get back to you. Even if you know what you're going to say, it's better to take that pause, think about it for 10 minutes, get your notes together, get your plan together, and call that reporter back. Never just take the call and start blabbing. I think what you mentioned about smaller companies is a valid point because we have a lot of listeners that are small manufacturing companies. And then we also have a lot of the Making Chips family that are very large manufacturers and probably could have somebody that is like truly responsible for crisis management. But before we even get into maybe how you manage that on a smaller scale, because like the first thing I think of is... I need to talk to the, you know, if, if, it's, a, if it's a man, the wife of, of this man that, that just died in my manufacturing plant. I mean, at what point in your steps, I mean, are you, are you, how do you manage that part of it? Oh, I think that's right up front. I think that's... And how do you manage it? I mean, I, it's the first thing that I'd want to do, but... Anything that's internal, you want to handle right away. And a lot of that's going to depend on how small you are and the kind of relationships you have with your employees and their families. If it's a small shop, I guarantee you, you're going to know that wife by first name. You're going to know that son, that family. So you as the leader need to call them and say, there's been a terrible accident. We're researching all the facts. Don't go into speculation, even with them. Don't go new, you know, innuendo. This is what happened. You know, we're working through the facts. We wanted to bring you up to speed. And when you do talk to the media initially, keep those names out of it. You do not want to release any names of any employee. Let the, let the police or anybody do that later. That's not your job because the last thing you want to do is have somebody's wife or husband hear about it on the news before they've even been notified. But, you know, the way that our culture is right exactly. now, like it's so so litigious. Like my first reaction would be I need to go to this woman's house and I need to if, if he died, I need to, you know, like, yeah, hug her, cry with her, all that kind of stuff. But I, I would imagine that like somebody that's trying to protect the company is going to say, no, don't don't talk to him. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself into admitting something or, you know, like, so where do you find that balance that? It's a judgment call. And there's nothing wrong with contacting and empathizing with the aggrieved person. But do not volunteer any facts. Do not speculate. Kind of the same rules that go when you're talking to the media. Talk to that person in that way. Be supportive. And then as things sort out, then you can decide the further route to go. And this company that had the unfortunate incident in fact, I think set up a scholarship fund for the for the person's kids, and they did the right things down the line. 
And so there was never any litigation. There was never... Because it, it was, was an accident. It was a, clearly an accident. OSHA came in and said it was an accident. These things happen. But the company still went above and beyond and did the right thing, as I think we all should do for our employees, especially the smaller the shops. You're going to know these people. They're part of your extended family, generally. Some of these folks have probably been with you guys for 25 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, that that's deep stuff. That's I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not pleasant to talk about. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's very serious. But if you manage it in the right way, it's better for the family. It's better for your company. It's better for society. But you have to be prepared because these things will happen and they'll come out of nowhere. And you can't just turn a blind eye and say, "Well, I don't know what happened." You know, it's not our fault. Of course not. Right. You you just be very upfront, honest. That's the way. To, and if uh, some of our political leaders still have not learned that lesson and they continue to try and deny things when they're caught red-handed and we see what happens to, to them down the road. Yeah. American people are very uh, forgiving. And if you make a mistake or there's an accident and you own up to it, you'll get through it. But if you try and obfuscate and tell half-truths, you'll uh, you'll end up getting caught and the penalty will be a lot worse. So those are great points. You know, it, It's really deep stuff. And um, I know... I have to create this call sheet and, and and set up the people in my shop because I, I just, I'll be honest, I don't have anything like that because, you know, I am a small machine shop. It doesn't scare me, but it it's something in the back of my head that is something that I have to, I really have to get on. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It's just not a priority. It's something that you're not comfortable doing. You always think it's never going to happen to you. Yep, until it does, and then it's too late if you don't have a plan in place. And You know, you're busy running your business, and everyone else is. They're busy making things. And we, we, we all hope that these things don't happen, but they will at some point. So... For our smaller manufacturing companies, what are the very basics? Like some of them are going to say, Scott, I just can't go through all of those precautionary steps that you mentioned. So what are the very like just basic things that they should have ready for them? Like Jim mentioned, you know, one page, this is what I need to have ready in case there's a problem. A quick snapshot of what, what they should do and, and think in the terms of a, a small company like mine. It's lit. It's literally a one-page sheet that says if X happens, then Y happens. If if this incident happens, this is who we call in this order. If this happens, this is who we call in this order. It's very so. It's like a flow chart. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And business owners will understand that. And and then you have to have the redundancy. So if 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 Jim Carr is not available that day, well, who's the person that they talk to? So you can't just rely on one person. Sometimes even Got bigger it. organizations will have two, three, four people. Yeah, great. Well, that was great. I, I really appreciate all that insight, Scott. It's, you bet, you, know, you bet. Happy it, to help. It, yeah, it's tough to talk about. And it looks like that's going to be about the end of our show for today. It looks like we've covered all the bases, and we hope that we've brought you some value with bringing Scott in and talking to us. I know it certainly has helped me. But if you want to reach out to Scott, please feel free to look him up on LinkedIn. Scott, S-C-O-T-T, McPherson, M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. I'm sure he'd be happy to connect with you. Or McPhersonPublicAffairs at gmail.com. Very good. Very good. So as you know, what we always say at the end of the show is, you know, Jason and I don't know it all. We, we always say that uh, we're here to provide you with stuff that we know, people that we meet like Scott, when we feel that there's value in what our friends and peers can share with the metalworking community. 
Those are the people that we want to bring on the show. Yeah, I mean, we're all part of this manufacturing family, and if we can bring somebody on like Scott that can help us through crisis management of all things that we don't even want to talk about, we just want to see our friends and our peers and everybody in, in our family prepared. You bet. Another thing, too, I want to share with everybody is don't forget, Jason and I are going to have a Making Chips Mastermind and Workshop. It's going to be the week of middle September 12th through the 17th. It's going to be IMTS week. Jason, you want to elaborate a little bit on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think that we're still working out the details, but I believe it's going to be Wednesday and Thursday, where all day Wednesday is going to be a mastermind. It's going to be a very small group of six to eight manufacturing leaders who are going to intimately get to know each other and are going to be there as friends, as peers. And then the next day, we're going to have a, a larger group where what we're basically going to do is take some of the concepts of making chips and put pen and paper and we get these things done and we take them back to our manufacturing companies. And we'll bring in some of our favorite making chips VIP guests to answer those questions. Yeah, we're not the experts, so we want to bring in the best of the best to help through this. We want to provide them with with the the most value that they can. Look for that coming up soon. We'll be sharing more information as it propagates itself. As we figure it out. As we figure it out. We're figuring it out day by day, right? So anyway, if you want to communicate with us, ask us more about this, uh, you know how to get a hold of us, makingchips.com. We're on all the social platforms. Look us up there. I don't know if you know, but we do have a YouTube page. We have a SoundCloud page. We have a LinkedIn page. And we also have email, Jim at Making Chips, Jason at Making Chips, and Ryan at Making Chips. We also have a phone number, Jason. 312-725-0245. 312-725-0245. You've asked me the phone number so many times that you've like seared it into my brain. I know. I'm, <laughs> and, I, you I actually, and you never remember. So I never do. And that's funny because- Well, it could be that o- older, younger thing too. You're forgetting <laughs> a lot more, you know. All I know is at the end of the day, I'm looking for that glass of wine. But- <laughs> Uh, is this therapy not right now, Jim? No, it is. I enjoy doing this, and it's a lot of fun. So with that, I'd like to reiterate what my dear father always told me at the end of the day or at the end of the business day, and he said, used to say, Jim, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. Damn that mic. I know, it sucks. That is... Well, let's order another one. We'll get it. We'll get it by next week. Yeah. Maybe we should get two. Never lie. Never. Right. Ob- I'm writing them down. Never obfuscate. What, is it? Like, what does it mean? I've never heard that word. Please that was- spell yeah. and, and define ob- ob- obfuscate. I can't even say obfuscate. that word. Obfuscate. O-B-F-U-S-C-A-T-E. I was joking about the spelling, okay. but thank you. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs>